I, I just want to say good morning to everyone, and uh, uh, we're happy to be here. We haven't been here probably for over a year. And before we get started, I would just like to say hello to Teresa Staples, my daughter, who's in Kentucky and can't be here. Um, I want to say three words first of all, and then go from there. First is grace, mercy, and blessings. Uh, part of my testimony, and uh, the ladies in the prayer group already know this, so I hope I don't bore you too much, but um, I was born in 1954. I lived in San Pablo, California uh, until I was 17. At the age of nine, I was baptized and was saved by my Jesus. Now, you say, well, you know, there's a lot of people who did that. But mine was a little bit different because I had parents who were not practicing Christians. So when I went to church that day and uh, gave my heart to Jesus, I came home so excited and, and ready to take on the world with Jesus. And when I got home and I told my parents how excited I was, they weren't. And the first thing my dad said was, I don't want any preacher coming to this house to talk to me in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, I'm skipping a whole lot of stuff, but um, the day came when I was to be baptized. And my, I went to my mother, who was at the washing machine, and I didn't realize that we were a poor family. But I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I need, I need something to wear to be baptized in, and I need something to wear afterwards and she never looked up from the washing machine where she was folding clothes and she said to me Denise you have one pair of underwear that's all you have and I wash it every day that was a day that I learned that I we probably didn't have much money and my parents had to decide whether they were going to pay the grocery bill of $75 or the house payment of $75. Um, so on baptism day, I wore a dress, that, the only one that I had. I didn't wear any underwear because I needed to wear them after. So my parents did not attend. I had a neighbor lady who was kind of my, she was my, my dear friend and she took care of me during all that and a few years ago I had the opportunity my parent my mom and my dad have been gone for many years now I had the opportunity to, to call her and talk to her and say why was it that mom and dad didn't want me to be baptized and I thought it was because of their their uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of because of their opinions and their beliefs but really they thought that I was too young to do that. But you know, that's one thing. I did two things that were disobedient to what my parents thought. One was being uh, saved, and the other was getting my ears pierced. So, um, anyway, uh, that long story short, uh, I did that despite what my parents wanted because that pull from God is so great in my life that 
uh, I didn't stop at that point. I just didn't stop. Now, as as I grew up, I, when I turned 17, I went to work in Washington, D.C. for the FBI, and that was 3,000 miles away from my family in California. And I had a rough uh, awakening. No, there was really not much talk about checkbooks and things of that nature, but um, so I learned everything that a, a young lady should learn before she leaves home uh, over those next two years. I, then I met and married my first husband, Roy Staples. My son, Chris, is here. Um, he was in the Air Force, so we traveled. I quit working for the FBI and started working for the Air Force. Unfortunately, Roy passed away in 2004 uh, as a result of serving in Vietnam, and he uh, had cancer based on Agent Orange. Four years later, I met my second husband, Roger, my third. <laughs> I'm stopping after this one. And I was married to him for almost five years, and lo and behold, he was also in the military. He was a firefighter. And in Vietnam, he saved many uh, pilots that crashed their airplanes and whatever other rescue things did. Some of the things he told me were just, you have to have a faith in God to understand what you're doing when you're, when you're taking care of those families. He passed away five years later of Agent Orange in service to his country. At that point, I laid down. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And my son was, you know, the man in my life at that point. And uh, I said to him, I don't know what to do. So what did I do? I went to work at Target because I didn't want to be home during the holidays. And uh, I came home one evening, and I laid down on the floor, face down, and I said, Lord, I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do next, but whatever it is, I leave it to you. And it was probably three weeks later that I went to uh, Dothan, Alabama, to a, uh, what's the name of that thing? Walked through Bethlehem, and I met Yuhu here. He happened to be a shepherd. And, uh, oh, by the way, my previous married name was Shepherd, too, so there's a something going on with that. Anyway, long story short, we met in December, and we got married in February. So we had long courtship. And my son was not very happy with me because of it. He sent his... Uh, best friend to who is a good Christian man to talk to me and all I said to him when the lights are green and they stay green you go and you do what the Lord tells you to do and Ben said that's all I needed to hear mom so Roger and I were married in February and that was almost eight years ago and I can't tell you what a joy he has been in my life and I am so proud of him. He's come so far. Um, I'm going to just tell a little bit probably what he was going to tell. He uh, 
last year, about this time, he uh, was diagnosed with COVID. I'm going to back up just a minute. In 2007, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I stayed cancer-free for five years, and in 2015, it recurred. So I had to have a mastectomy. But, you know, all through those things that we did and, and what we have gone through in this last year or two, it wasn't like it was such a heavy burden because we had God with us, taking care of us, seeing after us. Were we scared? Yes. I'm not going to lie and say that we weren't. Did we, were we fearful of things? Yes. Did we have a rule of three? Anything that we try to do that doesn't go the first time, that's one red. Second time, that's two reds. The third time, we're not doing it, whatever it is, because God is telling us somehow, some way, by blocking our way or doing something that we can't, we can't do that. If we get green lights like we did from December to February, we press. So anyway, um, I'm going to let Roger take over now and tell you his story, but I will tell you one thing is throughout his whole illness, I never thought that I was going to lose him. I never believed it. We went through a whole bunch of things with our home and the floor rotting, and I put Roger in charge of that. And uh, sure enough, he got COVID, and it was all left to me to do. But I never, ever thought that I was going to lose him until... Andalusia Hospital called and said, Miss Smith, we're going to move Roger to an acute care facility in Dothan, Alabama, and uh, you're welcome to come see him for a few minutes before we transport. I said, oh, great, because it was COVID. I couldn't go visit. I didn't know what his status was. I didn't know if he was doing good or doing bad. I talked to him, and he would say, I'm coming home on Thursday. And then I would talk to the nurse, and she would say, what? No, he's not. Anyway, after I went to see him in um, the ICU before they took him to Dothan, uh, the next day I went to Dothan to see him, and the doctor just happened to be there, and I said to him, you know, Roger's been in the hospital for a long time, and he hasn't had any exercise or anything. And uh, I just wanted to know if perhaps you could get him up and walk him around a little bit. And the doctor said to me, Mrs. Smith, First, we have to save your husband's life, and then we'll get him strong. And that was the first time I realized that he may not make it. So I'm turning it over to you, baby. Ain't she special? <laughs> How many of you feel special today? Raise your hand. You feel special. Hold that thought. Kind of ironic that I'm up here talking today. Um, Denise has lost uh, two husbands. Hopefully, the third time is a charm. He didn't want to marry a military guy, so maybe I have a disability that kept me out of the military. So uh, maybe that was one of the reasons I got this, so that uh, I'd be around for her. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, I was married for 43 years. 
and uh, to a little spitfire of a wife, five foot, red hair, real red hair, part Irish, part German, and part Cherokee Indian. And that's a combination. But she was a hairdresser. And, uh, but uh, today is her, uh, today is her birthday. And uh, she would be 72. She's probably mad at me for telling her age. But uh, she died uh, June 24th of 2012. I buried her June 28th of 2012, which was our 43rd wedding anniversary. If we had had to write a book about the things that we had gone through, we'd have to make it fiction because people wouldn't believe it. But God helped us together. God protected us. God looks after artists and fools, so he was doing double time for me. I am a commercial artist by training. Still like to do painting, and uh, people ask me what I draw. I said I, I'm really good at drawing flies. I don't. I just sit around and they just kind of fly around me. So, but anyway, I too got on my knees and prayed for God to give me another helpmate. I said, Lord, if you want me to stay married. You stay unmarried. That's fine if you have a uh, another person in charge for my life. That's okay too. But I know God has a sense of humor. I know He's looked down on me for years and smiled and cried probably at the same time. So I said I made it a deal. But what am I going to make a deal and put the fleece out? I said, just so that you and I know that we're on the right page and we got the same woman in mind, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Let her have a boat. <laughs> the reason for that is that uh, I love to fish and I had a bass boat, a ranger bass boat that I dearly loved, and uh, I had to sell it to pay for medical bills for my late wife. But she had a pontoon boat. I said, well, close enough. Beggars can't be choosers. So, uh, and I didn't know she had a place on the lake, so that was like the cherry on the, ti- on the cake, you know. So, but... Let me tell you a little bit about Denise. When you ask God to do something, her birthday was July nineteenth, nineteen fifty-four. My birthday is January nineteenth, nineteen forty-seven. Seven years apart. 
and seven months apart. God's perfect number is seven. To go from Virginia to California, you got to get a drive through or fly over seven states. So that was that was some positive numbers for me once I sent out thought about it. Now, since husband and wives are supposed to do things together and be each other's helpmate, December twenty eighth of last year we both came down with COVID. So Dr. Kerr, who is our family doctor, who you know. Diagnosed us and sent us over to op to be tested, and sure enough, we had COVID. Something you don't know about Dr. Kerr is how God works and looks after you because you're special in his eyes is that Dr. Kerr was born in the same hospital that I was in Roanoke, Virginia, Roanoke Memorial Hospital, which I thought was kind of ironic. And he's taken, he took a special interest in me because when I was very young, I came down with double pneumonia as a child, almost died then. was in, in the hospital of tubes coming out of every place I could stick one at age three. Almost died. Which affected my lungs that I didn't know. So when I came down with COVID, I went into the hospital on January the 11th. I was having trouble breathing. Oxygen level was real low. So January the 11th, I got to lay in bed and watch Alabama win the national title, which I hope to see again this January, but from my chair at home. So I was there for a week, came back out a week later, got to see the playoffs, wild card playoffs in the NFL. Oxygen level still would not go back up. It was at 80, 82% and dropping. So anyway, they sent me back the very next day. On Monday, I went into ICU, stayed in ICU in Andalusia Hospital for a number of days, almost a week and a half. They shot me full of everything that they had. When they went out of medicine, they would sent me down to Nolan Clinic, which is a acute lung rehab center, which is Nolan. I'm sorry, Nolan Hospital, which is inside southeastern in Dothan. So anyway, what happened there was that we tried to get my lung capacity back. And then they sent me over to Encompass to learn to walk again. I have a muscular problem, which is cousin to muscular dystrophy, and my muscles just kind of went to sleep. So I had to learn to walk all over again. So... When we were also married, Denise saved my life by making me go to the hospital. 
because my blood pressure had shot up to 190. My heart was racing like a racehorse. So, long story short, I ended up in Baptist Hospital in Pensacola the very next week, triple bypass heart surgery. So, the past few years has been filled with a knee replacement for Denise, cancer surgery, triple bypass heart surgery for me, severe case of COVID. But God has blessed me. Blessed me with a wonderful wife. I have a son who is an occupational therapist. He watches after old people like me. His boss is here today, so I got to talk nice about him. Two wonderful grandsons. The only regret my late wife and I had was that we were not able to have any additional children. I wanted a daughter. Denise gave me that daughter. Gave me another wonderful son who I admire and love deeply, and a daughter, Teresa, up in Kentucky. And now two beautiful young children, young girls that he has adopted that are here today, that are here today. So I have one thing left to say. I feel special. Hmm. And if you feel special, then please be special. Because everything that happens to you is meant to draw you closer to Jesus. Hmm. To give you a closer walk with him. Hmm. Could not have made it all these years without him. Thank God for his son. Thank God for his sacrifice. Because everything that happens has a reason. We don't understand it. We may not like it. But in time, God will reveal to us his plan. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the opportunity to share a brief moment in our life, where God has looked after us, and without the church and the people in it and their strength and prayers, all these years we could not have survived. Hmm. So, on behalf of Denise and I, thank you for the prayers they brought us through, and thank you for taking time to listen to us. Thank you. I just, I just have one more thing to say, and, and basically he said it for me, and that is that uh, without our church family, we don't really know where we would be. And a lot, of, a lot of people are going, who are these people? We haven't seen them in a year. Roger's on uh, doctor's care, and uh, when he gets released, we'll be back full time. But... Uh, the greatest blessing, I said there were three things. There was mercy, there was grace, and there was blessing.
The blessing I want to share with you today has taken two years, five months to come to fruition. And it was because mainly I shared personal things with the ladies in the Bible study. And they have all prayed, and I know that you guys have prayed. And today I can tell you that on November 29th, 2021, Ariana and Asia became a Staples and was adopted by my son, Chris. Girls, would you like to come up here? No? Okay. They don't want to come up, but I just want you to know how blessed we are to have you in our lives and to have them in our lives. And, and thank you all for listening. I know we went way too long. We went four, I was supposed to have 450 seconds, and he was supposed to have 450 seconds, but... He took longer. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old and become a step. <laughs> Roger, Denise, thank you guys so very much, so very much. Church family, I apologize um, in all the excitement of getting Roger and Denise up here. I forgot to dismiss the children to Children's Church. So um, you have made it thus far. I promise we will not be here much longer. We're going to read two passages of Scripture together. So if you want to take your Bible and try and turn and thumb to two places, one in the New Testament and one in the Old, one in the New Testament and one in the Old. We will be in First Thessalonians again. We'll be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And then the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, our Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, we will be in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Chris, I'm just going to read straight through both of these passages. I would ask, as is our tradition, and since we've been seated for a little while, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now first at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 through 10, followed by Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord continues Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver 
and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, who oppress the widow and who oppress the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week we began a sermon series walking through 1 Thessalonians and we pointed out that in every chapter of the letter to the Thessalonians there is a reference to the second coming of the Lord. This morning I just want to us to look for a brief moment at the similarity between Malachi's prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 and the anticipation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When we see Malachi chapter 3, this prophecy has a double meaning. This prophecy from verses 1 to 5 is talking about when Jesus will come for the first time. Malachi takes place 400 some odd years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Malachi is the last prophet to prophesy before there is silence from the prophets of the Lord for over 400 years as they wait for the arrival of Jesus. So as Malachi prophesies, he is talking about when Jesus will show up for the first time. And he's talking about there in verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is John the Baptist. This is the one who prepares the way before Jesus. As we come into the Christmas season, it is good for us to remember how Jesus Jesus' birth was prophesied over 400 years before it took place. Jesus coming as a little baby was the fulfillment of 400 years of prophecy and of waiting. He sends his messenger before, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The first day that Jesus is taken to the temple, do you think that anyone was expecting for the Messiah to show up that way? Do you think that anyone was expecting for when the Messiah showed up at the temple that day, that it would be in the form of a helpless baby that could not do anything for itself, completely dependent upon his parents? This was a complete flip of the expectation. That's why so many people missed him. And it says, who can endure that day? And you might think in verse 2 when it says, who can endure that day that of his coming? Well, surely that's talking about the second coming. But I want us to think back about Jesus' life and his ministry. It was quite difficult for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the various religious leaders to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. They could not endure in their Jewish faith and accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Every step of the way, Jesus told them and corrected them and showed them how they had misinterpreted, showed them how they had lost focus, but they could not endure his teaching. And so instead, they crucified him. It may seem like if this is not the first coming, that it would be the second coming, that it would be him coming with fire. 
They expected a refiner's fire in verse 3. They expected and interpreted this passage as to say that when the Messiah shows up, he'll be like Moses. He'll be like Elijah. He'll call down fire from heaven. But the fire of Jesus' teaching was more than what they could handle because it was not what they expected. And then you move in to verse 5. And verse 5 takes clear focus specifically on that second coming. Then, at that time, when that later time comes, I will draw near to you for judgment. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. The wrath that Malachi chapter 3 is talking about is the wrath that 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is saying we are waiting to escape. Do you remember when you were a child, or maybe if you still are a child, and you do something wrong and you're waiting for your mom or your dad to come home knowing that they know what you have done wrong? Is that a fun wait or is, is that an anxious kind of a wait? If you know for a fact that there is a whipping, a spanking, a punishment of some kind coming, then you want your parents to take as long as possible doing whatever they're doing before they get home. So you're actually trying to ignore the fact that they're coming home. But if you're in the right, if you deserve no spanking, if you deserve no punishment, maybe you have a sibling who does. You know, we love our siblings. We sure do. They're just wonderful. It's great to have brothers and sisters, but something about being a brother and being a sister, uh, you, you kind of want some harm to befall your siblings at times. I mean, it's, it's something within us that when we know that they've messed up and mom and dad know that they've messed up, boy, mom and dad can't get home fast enough. Woo, when are they going to be here? Come on, come on. I just, Michael is going to get it when they get home. He won't be driving for a month. I'm so stoked to see his face drop when his parent, when our parents say, son, you had your ninth wreck. Your ninth wreck, Michael. What do you expect us to do at this point? I was so ready for that talking that he was going to get, that great removal of his keys from his pocket. Has any sibling ever experienced anything like that? Is that just me? Am I just that terrible of a person? I guess it's just me. Okay, all right. It's just me and a couple of the Diamond Kids. God bless you guys. Appreciate you all so much. Listen, sometimes there, there is a place for joy when you know justice is going to be served. When you know that what is fair is about to take place. And folks, we have lived through a lot of us our whole lives. Many of us, I mean, that's just a fraction of what Roger and Denise could tell you of the things that God has helped them endure in their life. But especially and specifically these last two years, has it not seemed on so many levels that there is so much that is unfair, so much that doesn't seem just, so much that seems harder than it ought to be? And we, more than ever in our lives, should be eagerly and expectantly waiting and looking for our Father to come back and make things right. That's what he's talking about in chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians. We are waiting, waiting eagerly, waiting expectantly because there is a wrath that will come and we aren't going to experience it. It is a wrath that we avert by having faith in Jesus When Malachi talks in verse 5, 
He says he'll draw near for judgment. It's going to be a swift judgment. It's going to come quick. It's going to come hard. It's going to come fast. It's going to be ugly. And it's going to be ugly for the sorcerers, for the adulterers, for those who swear falsely, for those who oppress hired workers and their wages, for those who oppress widows, for those who oppress the fatherless, for those who thrust aside the sojourner, for those who do not fear the Lord. They're the ones hoping to... Man, if there is a God, take your time. I'm enjoying life. I don't care when you come back. I don't think you're going to come back. I don't think it's going to happen. That's the same attitude that was prevalent in Jesus' day. I had already planned on using an analogy of a stoplight, and I had no idea that Denise was going to talk about their red lights and their green lights. How many of you have been at a traffic light, especially in the last few years since texting has become such a prominent thing in our world, and the light turns from red to green? Okay, all right. One. Do I honk my horn? Is it? Is this the... Have I waited long enough? Obviously, they're not paying it. Oh, man, I'm rude. That was awful. I shouldn't have done that. But they, were, they didn't see the light change. We've got to go. We've got places we've got to be. How often do you pull up to a red light and somebody is just staring at their phone and turns to green? You might leave them there in the lane beside you and you look over at them and you just can't believe it. They're getting late wherever they are. And off you go. Because what happened? The red light took just long enough. Ah, I can catch that one more text. Ah, I can do this one more thing. Ah, I can, I can watch this one video on TikTok. I can, I can see this one tweet. Oh, somebody sent me a Snapchat. Oh, look, somebody updated on Facebook. Let me just check my phone real quick. It's just so important. I got to have my phone. Where's my phone? Let me check it. Even in that time that it takes for the red light, for us to stop, and then it turns green and we can go. Folks, don't miss that the way Scripture describes the passage of time for the Lord Between when Jesus came the first time and now, it hasn't been much longer than a red light to the Lord. And yet, how many of us have forgotten him already this Christmas season? How many of us have found something else to fill our time to distract us so that when the light turns green, we're not looking? Next thing you know, there's horns honking all around us. People behind us frustrated and angry. Why weren't you ready? Why weren't you expecting it? It's just a red light. It's about to turn green. That always happens. Be looking. Be ready. Be expecting. Folks, that's us today. Life's gotten really hard over the last couple of years. And even though we know Malachi chapter 3, even though we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, waiting expectantly, we still know. But we've distracted ourselves. We've checked our phone. We've done whatever we can to not think about that day. Christmas is a wonderful time because the fact that Jesus did come the first time is all the evidence we need to know he's coming the second time. It is a historical fact that no one, no one can dispute honestly that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. Jesus was actually born. God promised to send a Messiah and a Messiah showed up. So when the Messiah says, I'm coming back, We can bank on the fact he's coming back. But how many of us don't think about that all too much? We're not eager. We're not expecting. Or how many here today, you're distracting yourself because you really don't believe he's coming back? Maybe you've never trusted in the gospel in the first place and you you don't want him to come back. You're fine with your life just how it is. 
this morning, I would encourage you to hear the testimony of our brother and our sister in Christ. Life is going to be hard, but God will carry you through it. But you have to trust in Him. You have to lean on the Lord. Surrender to the Lord and trust in Him today. And My friend, if, if you're here this morning and you've lost that eager expectation of His return, I hope that you are encouraged and reminded that He did show up. So every promise He's ever made, He's fulfilled. He hasn't broken a single one. So His promise to come back will be fulfilled. Let's live like we are ready and excited and expecting to see our Father call us home. Let's eagerly look to the sky, excited about when the clouds will part and the trumpet will sound and He will say, Son, go get your children. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we will be caught up and meet Him in the air. That will happen. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fiction story. It's not some sci-fi novel. It's reality. But we've been sitting at this red light what feels like eternity. And we forgot. It's about to turn green. Church, hold on. That red light's about to change. Jesus is going to come back. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so much that You've never broken a promise. That you prophesied 400 years before you showed up the first time and you showed up. That you prophesied before you went to heaven and even have words in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Helping us, reminding us, pointing us to the fact that you will come back again. Please, Father, we ask that you would help us to be eager. Help us to be expecting your return. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted in you, I pray that they would give their life to you today. That they might also join the club of eager expectation for your return. That they might also escape the wrath that is to come. And enjoy the paradise that awaits those who believe in you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.